Like we've been in this series in Ezekiel, we've been talking about uh, the Jewish people. And I just want to consider for a minute as we get started uh, in week five, the position of the Jewish people in, in Babylon, the Hebrew people or the people of Israel. Um, they're, they're like, I don't know exactly, but let's just say a thousand miles from, from their home in Israel, Jerusalem. Um, they're not just a thousand like physical miles from their home, they feel a thousand miles from home. A thousand miles really from God, like, right? Like God comes to them in Mount Sinai and he's personal with them, he's present with them. They build the tabernacle, then when they get to Jerusalem they build the temple and God's presence, it's there. It's, it's like visible, they have vivid memories of, of this place, this beautiful place and the presence of God in so many ways. And it was like this incredible connection that they had with the God of the universe. And yet, over the years leading up to their capture and exile, they saw their nation ripped apart by civil war. The, the 12 tribes or sons of Jacob split and you had the northern tribes called Israel made up about 10 tribes and then you had the southern tribes of uh, Judah that was uh, basically mostly Judah and there was a small tribe called Benjamin and then some other people from the tribes who came down and worshiped God there in Jerusalem, but they were, a, they were a fraction of the nation that they had been. A fraction of, of, of the wealth, of the, of the pride, of the place that they held in the, on the world stage. And so the, the grand nation idea of the people of God, made up of these 12 tribes of uh, Jacob, the 12 sons of Jacob, it was a, really, as an experiment, was a complete and utter, utter failure. They did, they, did not, they did not live up in any stretch of the imagination to, to what God had expected for them. And, and so now, um, the vast majority of the few Hebrew people that were left from this once massive nation are, are either living in refugee camps far from home in Babylon, far from God, far from any hope of returning to their homeland or to their former glory, or they're a small, insignificant band of people living in and around Jerusalem just trying to scrape a living off the land, like nothing worked. Well, I don't know what you did, but we just lost this one now, too. Uh, <laughs> um, so, uh, Nothing works. So, um, Julie, we're going to go to this one. If any, does any, is anything working now? I don't know. Anyway, the people of, of Israel, the nation of Israel, they have they failed to allow the discipline of God to change their direction. We talked about that last week. The discipline of God, um, as they turned from him, they rejected his ways. He allowed other nations to come in and, and conquer them and haul them off into, into exile. Uh, and the purpose of that was that they would change direction, that they would see the error of their ways, that they would turn, they would follow God once again, they would recognize him as the one true God, they would stop worshiping all these other foreign uh, idols and, and gods, but that didn't work. 
They continued to just plow on in the same direction. And so we looked a few weeks ago at how the people in Jerusalem were continuing to, to worship other gods and idols, even in the temple proper area of of God, And then the people that were in Babylon, they were like listening to Ezekiel. They were talking like, oh, you, you're so good and the things you say are so great. But then they didn't let those things impact their life. Like there was no transformation there. They didn't turn from the things that they had been doing. They listened, but, but then it didn't impact their lives. And, and so it was all just a big act. And so even though it seems like the Jews are done with God, he is not done with them. So he continues to draw them. He continues to try and call them to himself and, and, and help them to change direction and find and follow him once again. And so today we're going to take another step toward God's plan to give his people a, a new heart. And that's what this whole series has been about. And, and we're gonna see in the text today in Ezekiel 37, just the tiniest of hints that God has something so much bigger and so much more in store for his people. And so we're gonna begin by looking at Ezekiel 37. Uh, oh, let, let's do this. Um, <laughs> If you have a mobile device with you, uh, you can go to reallifecc.us, and if you scroll down, uh, there's a link that says My Message Notes, and if you click on that, uh, all the Bible verses will be there and some things we're gonna talk about this morning. So if you have that and you wanna go until um, maybe if the rest of the stuff gets going, uh, so all the verses will be there. We're gonna start in Ezekiel 37. Um, the first six verses. Here's what it happens like almost every chapter in the book of Ezekiel. He starts out this way. The hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and he sat me down in the middle of the valley and it was full of bones. Now that's a big deal because Jewish people in the time their infants are taught to stay away from bones because bones mean death and death makes you unclean for worshiping. So if you come in contact with a dead body or even the bones of a dead body, you are unclean for going to temple on the Sabbath, on the seventh day on Saturday and, and worshiping God. And so they avoided bones as much as, as possible. So this is a big deal for Ezekiel to be in this valley. He says, um, he led me, God led me around among the bones. So like Zeke's been taught to avoid these and now he's being led by God and, and he's like stepping over these bones and stuff. It's like not a good situation for him. And there were very many bones, he says, on the surface of the valley, and they were very dry. What, does, what do dry bones mean? Like been there a while, right? They're like dead. There's no life in them. Uh, a, a bone, I don't know if you're aware of this, uh, but bones are, are kind of uh, wet, kind of. Because they're, they're in your body, they have like marrow in them and stuff. Uh, when I went and gave um, uh, T cells to my, my brother when he was dealing with cancer, um, they injected those T cells, they killed all the bone marrow in his body and then they injected my T cells into the marrow and then, and then he became me. Uh, same DNA, really crazy. So these were dry bones, they'd been there for a while, even the bones were dead. You can't do anything with them. And God said to Ezekiel in verse three, son of man, can these bones live? 
And Ezekiel answered, oh, Lord God, like you, you know. And then he said to me, prophesy over these bones. By the, word, by the way, the, the word prophesy, um, we often think of that it means like this kind of far out ethereal thing. Like I'm going to prophesy and that means I'm going to tell you something that hasn't happened yet. I'm going to give you information about something that hasn't happened yet. The word prophesy actually means just to speak before. And so prophets of God, they prophesied, but they didn't always prophesy about future events. They simply spoke before people. They spoke before sometimes things happened. And so that word is used for a lot of different things. So, so what I'm doing today, I'm prophesying to you. I'm, I'm not telling you about future events. I'm explaining things to you. I'm speaking before you today. So God tells Ezekiel to prophesy over these bones, to speak to the bones and to say to them, O oh, dry bones, this is really weird, I think, hear the word of the Lord. <laughs> Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Um, have you ever had a dream and when you wake up from the dream, it takes a minute to, for you to realize that what just happened was actually a dream? Like, like it was so real in your dream that you, that you wake up and you, and you have to like process it. You're like, okay, I, like I'm in bed. I'm not, this, that, whatever happened didn't really happen. Uh, if you're married, maybe you've had one of those dreams where uh, your spouse doing something they shouldn't be doing and you wake up mad because you think they actually did the thing that you're, you're like all upset with them. Oh. And um, like that, when you think about these visions that Ezekiel was having, um, these visions were like that point in a dream where you cannot distinguish between what's real and, and what's not real. So when Ezekiel is caught up into these visions, the, like he smells real things, he has real, like every, for all intents and purposes, Ezekiel believes that what he's seeing is what's actually happening. And like it isn't until after he comes out of the vision that he's able to process that and you go like, oh, okay, <laughs> that was a vision from God and it wasn't, it wasn't real, um, I just experienced it. And, and so he has to process that a little bit. And so Ezekiel is having this vision, but he doesn't realize it's a vision until after he gets out. And, and so in this vision, the first few verses there of chapter 37, God asks Ezekiel a question, and then he gives Ezekiel a command. And, and so Zeke, like he thinks this is all just like happening in real time. He's standing in the middle of this field. God has just led him through, and he's carefully stepped over these bones because as a, a good Hebrew Jewish person, he has to avoid them. Um, and, and God has given him like sufficient time to survey the valley and, and see all of these bones and all of these things. This is a disturbing sight for him to, to be in. And then God asked him this question, can these bones live? And, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that. I'm like, okay, my dad doesn't really have conversations. He has jokes. And so uh, dad will come to me and he'll ask me a question. And I'm pretty good at 52 
determining if what my dad is going to say next is actually a conversation or just he just wants to tell me a joke. And so he comes to me and asks me a question. And when I have, I like, this is a joke. I, this is my response. And I'm, and I'm sorry, but this is my response. Just tell me. I go, just, just tell me. And it, just, it destroys him, right? Because he wants to tell me this joke and he wants me to laugh. And I'm, I'm like, I've been through this my whole life. I know this is, I know it's coming. Just tell me what the joke is. I don't like, that's it. And, and I feel like Ezekiel's in this little spot where, like we're 37 chapters in. Ezekiel's been through these visions over and over and over again. And then God's like, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And, and he's just like, oh Lord God. You, you know, just tell me. Like, I'm gonna get it wrong. I'm not gonna like just just give me what you want to want to tell me. And I kind of like maybe I'm completely wrong, but I kind of feel like Zeke is like in that moment. He's come across all of these bones, and I'm like, the last time you were walking around Kansas or driving down the road and you saw a pile of bones from some animal on the ground, did you ever think, I wonder when that animal's gonna come back to life? The answer to God's question is no, God, no. These bones cannot live. It's not going to happen. It's not, it just doesn't, this is not a real thing. Like, sure, yes, we've seen you being people back from the dead. These, like, if you're just bones, you're dead, dead. Like, when we saw the bones of Joe Theismann or Alex Smith, you, like that changed things, right? You see people, football players get le- arms and legs broken, whatever, all the time. We're like, ah, whatever. Just snap it back into place and they go back out. But when you see the bones poking out of the skin, that's it. Over, done. That's, that's the end. And that's how Ezekiel is in, the, in this moment. He's just like, uh, yeah, th- no, this can't happen. But you gotta, like, you gotta have some, you gotta give Ezekiel props for this response. He's like, God, to me, no, absolutely not. These bones are nev- never gonna live. But I know who I'm talking to. And so you know, like if you wanna bring them back, you can bring them back. And so God responds then by not answering his own question, but by giving Zeke a, a command. Let's see if it, it comes up. Uh, he gives him a command to prophesy to the bones and say to them, oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And so um, here's a question for you. Do dry bones that have been out in the open for a really long time, do they have ears? No, no thank you. <laughs> Appreciate that. No, they have holes in the skull where the ears go, right? But there's no, like bones don't have ears. So how are they going to hear even what Ezekiel is about to say to them. But it's just weird. So God is telling Ezekiel to speak to just dry bones as though they can hear and as though they can understand what is about to happen to them. And and so he starts really with the best part. He, He says to the bones, prophesy to the bones, you shall live. You're going to come back to life. And now any, like they'd get excited if they weren't dry, nasty bones on the valley floor. Um, I'm first going to, I'm going to bring you back to life. He says, then I'm going to look, I'm going to connect your bones back together with the sinews and the ligaments and the cartilage and then the muscle. I'm going to put the organs back in. I'm going to cover you with skin. And then once your physical body is there, like it's supposed to be, and everything is back together, then I'm going to put breath in you and you're going to live. 
And I'm like, that's a bold claim if you're anybody but God. Nobody would even think about about doing that. He's speaking to these dry, shriveled up bones in a field that had been picked over by the, by the birds and by the beasts and by beetles. I guess it's gross. They're there. There's no way they're coming back. But Zeke knows better than to refuse God. And so here's what he says. So I prophesied as I was commanded. Like, let me just tell you, that's a good way. Like, if God tells you something, just do it. Just do it. Ezekiel's like, I just, I did it. God told me to do it and I did it. And as I prophesied, so as I spoke to these bones about what's going to happen, breath is going to come back in you. I'm going to bring your bones together and sinews and all that stuff. I heard a rattling. There was a sound and a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked and behold, there were sinews on them and flesh had come upon them and skin had covered them up but there was no breath in them. And we, and we gotta just start out by saying, ooh, can you imagine being there? That's, we got some nurses in, in the house today. That's just gross. I would not wanna be there witnessing that and watching that happen. And I don't know how it happened, but, but, but gross, no thank you. Um, but Zeke, like he just does what he's told and then it's like there and he, and he hears the bones rattle like a couple of bucks in the forest and their, and their antlers are clanging together. He hears that sound and then, and then all of these things start happening and these bodies begin to form and then, and then flesh comes and, 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 and covers them. It was like, it was an incredible sight and it was an incredibly probably like just gruesome kind of disgusting sight. But, but it makes me think of something else. Like a lot of times we read scripture and, and if you've read other parts of the Bible, it makes you think of other things. And I got to thinking about this and, and I was reminded of, a, of another verse in the, very, in the very beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And we talked earlier this year about the, the word for formless and void in, in our Bibles today. It was the Hebrew word tovu vavohu and it means chaotic nothingness. In the beginning, there was chaotic nothingness. And, and what happened? Do you remember what happened to that chaotic nothingness? God did something. What did he do? No. Well, he did do that. He did something with his voice. What did he do? He spoke. He spoke. He spoke to this chaotic nothingness and all of a sudden it became somethingness. It's this incredible moment. And, and everything that he spoke then in the rest of Genesis 1 happened just the way he said. And so the, the voice of God, whether it's from him or from those who speak his word to others for him, like Ezekiel, that's a powerful thing. In fact, there's a passage of scripture that, that says that the word that goes forth it, it won't return empty. It, it won't, it won't go, it won't, it will always accomplish what God intends for it to accomplish. And so whether God is speaking to chaotic nothingness in the very beginning, or he's speaking to a valley full of dry bones that could never live, the voice of God demands a response. And these incredible things begin to happen. And so Zeke is watching all of these bodies come together, um, but they were just, they were like still laying on the ground. They were bodies, but there was no life. And, 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 and Zeke's got to be thinking about this because the first thing God said was, I'm going to put breath in you. 
And yet these bodies are all back together and there's no breath. It hadn't happened, hadn't happened yet. And so there's this, there's this second conversation that God and Ezekiel have together. Here's what he says. Then God said to me, so Ezekiel's like looking around. He's like, well, the bodies are back together, but there's no breath. What's going on? And so God says, here's another command. Prophesy to the breath, which seems odd, does it not? Like, that seems weird to me. I think I've told you this story before. A uh, long time ago, I was preaching. The last church uh, I was preaching in, and there was a gentleman at a wedding that I had done, uh, and he had showed up to the wedding um, inebriated. And he, he was kind of loud, and we held it together pretty good. But he wouldn't leave. Like the wedding was over, the entire wedding party left the church, it was a Saturday, I wanted to go home, and he was just like hanging out, talking with me and whatever, and I finally got him out of the doors of the church, I got the church doors locked, I'm like, I've got to get, I got to get home, and he comes in real close to me, you know, where you can, <laughs> you can smell, like, I, I know what you've been doing, buddy, uh, and he gets in real close to me, and he goes, <sighs> What are you doing? And then he, he goes, do you know what I just did? I just gave you a double portion of the spirit. Spirits, maybe. Uh, and I, I was just like, <clears throat> thank you. And I, I like, like, this is just odd. Prophesy to the breath. That's just just weird. Like what, what breath? What's he, what's he talking about? Prophesy to the breath. Uh, say, son of man, to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. Again, isn't that just odd? Like if you ever read that, like this just doesn't make any sense. First of all, I didn't know breath came from the four winds. That seems um, odd. Breath is like a thing, and then how does it breathe? How does breath breathe? Isn't breath already breathing? Like this doesn't make sense either. Um, but look, Ezekiel, once again, he's like, well, I just do what I'm told. So I prophesied as God commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. There's this huge buildup, and then, and then it's like one little sentence. It, well, they just all came back to life, and, and that's uh, great. Um, the breath comes into them, they live, they stood on their feet, this exceedingly great army, and completely anticlimactic. Like, I don't even understand. This doesn't make any sense to me. This whole story is kind of weird. Uh, um, there's this, like all this buildup. God just mentions this breath like over and over and over again. And then we get to this point where like I thought the breath was supposed to come and then it doesn't. And then there's this whole other prophecy that has to be given uh, speaking to this um, breath because it's like late. The man under the breath didn't get the memo that God needed it right then. I, it just doesn't make sense. But the breath comes, it fills the bodies uh, and, and the bones become uh, alive. But, but I have some questions about this. Um, number one, it seems odd to me that the breath appears to take more effort and intention than putting the ligaments and organs and muscles and flesh back, back on these bodies. Like if, if I were looking at this story, I would think the breath was the easiest thing to accomplish. Like putting all that other stuff back together, that seems like the hard part. Making a heart and a liver, kidneys and all, and like getting it all, in, fitting it all in there. The breath seems like the easiest thing 
to, to accomplish, but, but it's not. And so that seems odd to me. Secondly, God keeps mentioning the breath like over and over and over. And so there seems like there's something special about it. And yet, once it comes, it's just, it's just over. Where the breath comes and then boom, we're at the end of the story. And that seems kind of weird. And where do the four winds come in? Like that doesn't make any sense at all. And then how can breath both, both come from the four winds like it's this physical thing, but then it also, this breath has to breathe itself onto these bodies and bones that, to borrow a term from men in black, are just these meat sacks laying on the ground. Uh, and then the breath has to go into them. That, that's like there's all this buildup and this anticlimactic thing unless you know the point. And here's the point. God says to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Oh, <laughs> well, that, that changes the story a little bit. Like I thought they were just bones and bodies and people and the army on the ground, but it's not about bones and bodies. It's about the whole house of Israel because the Israel says our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Now God says, say to them, this is what God says. God says, now I will open your graves. I will raise you from your graves, O my people. I will bring you into the land of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord. When I, we get a repeat. Whenever you hear a repeat, that means it's something important and you're probably, it's gonna take a little bit to figure it out. I will, when I, uh, when I open your graves and I rise you from the, uh, raise you from the graves, O my people, and then I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. And so what we learn here is that the bones are not really bones at all. The bones represent the hopes and the dreams and the aspirations of Israel that over the years have been slain and picked apart and devoured little by little, sin by sin. This grand vision that was supposed to be Israel, this nation of priests that were supposed to lead the entire world to follow and to know God and to worship him, all that had died. And all that is left, all that they had dreamed is just strewn across the desert floor like dry bones that will never live. And this whole vision that Ezekiel has with God has nothing to do with bones and flesh and organs and has everything to do with the nation of Israel. But, but part of the understanding of this passage means that we have to understand that death means nothing to God. God is not limited by death. Like he spoke to chaotic nothingness and it obeyed him. How much more easy would it be for him to speak to the broken hopes and dreams of his people and be able to restore those as well? But, but I think there's even more to this story because let's say somehow in the turn of events of, of time, the nation of Israel is able to kind of rise from the ashes of, of defeat and exile and somehow happen to um, resemble a nation once again. And maybe somehow they're even able to get back to 
Jerusalem and kind of live there in their homeland again, I think what God is telling us that even if you're able to accomplish all of these things and you seem to be able to put the bones of your life back together and you kind of start doing life again, God's like, look, without the spirit, there's no real life. There's something about this idea of the breath of God that is more important here to the story. See, Israel was not a nation to begin with. There was no Hebrew nation, no nation of Israel, no Jewish people until God calls Abraham from Ur the Chaldeans and he says, leave your father's household, leave the land of your birth and go to the land I'll show you and I will make you into a great nation. And it took hundreds of years for that to happen until the nation of Israel is great, enormous people in Egypt were then slaves and God frees them and he brings them into the desert and he, he brings them to the land of of Canaan and the nation explodes under King David and King Solomon. They become the pinnacle nation of the entire world from one man. And then they reject the ways of God and they turn from him and they're scattered over the entire earth, the last remnants of a ragged house long bereft of lordship. And, and so here's the point. A nation without God is like a person without breath. Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you know what it's like to live a life that looks like a life. You got the bones and the flesh and the organ and like everything is there working, but you don't feel alive. There's something else that has to happen. Like this life, there just has to be more to it. Without this breath, like life just chokes out. It's hard to continue. There's an interesting thing we find in Ezekiel 37. If you go back to verse four, where God begins to tell Ezekiel, hey, Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones, say to these bones, and then he gives them the command. If you go back to verse four, you begin to go through until um, verse 14, when, when kind of this story is over, um, when, when he tells Ezekiel what kind of all of this means. The word breath appears seven times. And you remember what we said about the word seven? or the number seven. The, the number seven in the Bible, of course, it's there's seven days of the creation, right? Six days he created, then on the seventh day, God rested. And it's like, a, it's a part of that creation time period. There's a purpose for this, this rest. And, and, then, and then we have, when God uh, makes the calendar, it's like seven days of the week. And on the seventh day, you're gonna rest. This is important. The number seven represents completion or at the right time. And so when we see that number in the Bible uh, repeated like that in a, in a short order, a short span, it typically means there's something more going on here. But here's the other thing that's interesting. The word breath that we read seven times in our Bibles is not the word breath. In the, in the Hebrew, and forgive me, I'm gonna butcher it because I'm not Jewish. In the, in the Hebrew, the word is ruach. You, you gotta 
get a gravel in the back, a ruach, something like that, maybe close. And, and, it, and it doesn't just mean breath. This word, it's the same word that's translated breath and wind and spirit. And if you read back through Ezekiel 37 and you begin to think that when God says breath, the breath is going to enter them. I'm going to send the breath, bring the breath from the four winds. Is he really using the word breath or wind or spirit? Look at, look at how he says he's going he's gonna to do this. Prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your grave. Pay attention to the, the, the odd way that he writes this. I will open your graves, rise you from your graves, raise you from your graves, O oh, oh my people, and I will bring you into the land. Now, if you were saying that sentence, was that the way you would say it? Or would you just say, I'm gonna bring you back from the dead? That, that seems a whole lot easier to me, I think. But God's just like, hey, just say to the, to the bones, say to the, the nation of Israel, like, I'm gonna bring you back from the dead and then I'm gonna put you in the land that I promised you. Um, Genesis chapter three, verse 15, it's called the Proto-Evangelium. It's the, it's the very first time in scripture that we get this idea that, that something big is coming. It, it's when God is talking to Adam and Eve after they've eaten the fruit and there's like God's metering out this discipline, there's this stuff going on. And God says to Eve and, and to the snake, he says, you're going to have offspring. You're gonna have a child. And that child is going to um, be injured by the snake, but then he will destroy the snake, right? He will bruise his heel, but he will crush the head of the, the snake. And so from Eve would come this offspring that would once and for all defeat evil in the world and become then king of the kingdom that would never end. Now, the Jews today are still waiting for that king to come. They're still waiting for that prophecy to, uh, to come true. They're waiting for the promised Messiah. But, but what do verses 12 and 13, like, what does that sound like to you? Have, you? have you heard that kind of, the way that's arranged? Open the graves, raise you from your graves, and then bring you to the land. It's an odd way to say that. Um, phrase, unless it maybe makes you think about this. Early on Sunday morning, some of the women went to the tomb of Jesus early, and what did they find there? Remember, they were, they were talking because they didn't know how they were going to open the grave so that they could get to the body of Jesus and anoint it with the, with the uh, spices and oils that they brought. But when they get there, what do they find? The grave is opened. Oh, now did you see that come up before you said it? Okay, good, good. Thank you for keeping an eye on her, Sarah. Appreciate that. When they get to the tomb of Jesus, the grave's open, which is, which is cool, like the stone is rolled away. Um, and, and then when they peek inside the grave, what do they find? The, the dead bones. The body of Jesus is, is gone. It's been raised from the dead. Jesus' body was gone. And then I think this is really interesting. Later, 
God is going to send his spirit, his ruach, from the four corners. And just like his spirit filled the tabernacle in Exodus and then the temple of David and Solomon when they built it and when they rebuilt it, um, they dedicated it, the spirit of God comes on the day of Pentecost with a loud sound and brings to life the church, the kingdom of God on earth of which Jesus is the king. And then we're told that one day, God is gonna place us in our land forever. A a land that really isn't a, a land, it's a new heaven and a new earth, it's a place where heaven and earth exist in perfect unity and we're never gonna be driven off that land again. And then he says, we will know that he is the Lord. And we know that because the scripture tells us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of the world. And so we get this idea from from the story, number six. If God says it, he's gonna do it. And it doesn't matter whether he's speaking to chaotic nothingness or whether he's speaking to dry bones or whether he's speaking into your life, which you might think is over. If God says he's gonna do it, he's gonna do it. And so if you feel spiritually dead, if you're struggling to follow Jesus, if you feel like there's no hope or, or like your sin is just too big or your spiritual well is, is just, it's run dry, it's empty, remember that none of what God accomplishes is about your condition. Nothing that God does in our lives are about where we're at or who we are or what's going on with us. You may feel far from God, but he is never far from you. And just like dry bones, just like the broken hopes and dreams of the nation of Israel, God can restore physically and he can fill spiritually and he can give you real life. Because if he says it, he's gonna do it. And and there's nothing that is too much for our God. So I think this vision of Ezekiel in the land of dry bones, we know it has nothing to do with dry bones and people. It really has everything to do with the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is really a picture of us as the kingdom of God across the world. Anybody who believes that Jesus is the king, the son of God, and, and so it's about hope. It's about recognizing that God is able to do what we are unable to do. And if he says he's gonna do it, he's capable of making it happen. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we follow. And, and just like Ezekiel, we need to come to the place where when God tells us ridiculous things, like to speak to bones, we just go, Okay, God. I wasn't gonna tell you this this morning, but um, I, I really, you know, I'm, I, I don't know if you're aware of this, but I am not perfect. I, I, know, I know he talked to my wife and sometimes it's hard to believe. 
But it, it's true. And I, and I struggle with things and I deal with stuff just like everybody else does. And, and so this week is, was kind of, earlier this week, is this kind of difficult um, for me. We went back to the building, uh, Haverhill again, we're looking through it. And, um, and, and I was like struck with the realization this week that we, we just, like, we're going to get into this building. Like, unless something like crazy happens, we're going to own the building. We're going to get in there. We're going to have church and there's rooms to, to do church. Um, but we don't have the means right now to do any of the things that we really want to do in the building. We're going to be there. (laughs) We're going to have church. Uh, like it is a stupid thing. We, we thought based on what the people said at, at the school that we might be able to pick up some chairs from the district really cheap. And they were not gonna be good. They were probably gonna be worse than these chairs. Um, they weren't gonna be great, but we thought maybe they'd get us by for a while because if we buy chairs for the building right now, we're looking at $22,000 to get enough chairs for the building, make sure they come from the same dye lot and there's not the, we get the color we want and all that stuff. Like that's, that's not a, a small thing. Um, and so we just, we, we just initially were talking and we're like, maybe that's not the best place to spend the money. Maybe we can, maybe we can like have some worse chairs for a short time and do some other things in the building and then we'll be able to get the chairs. And, and then we found out this week that they don't even have a hundred chairs probably for us to use. So, so there's not, they don't, we don't have enough chairs. We're going to be in a building and we're going to sit on the floor. Uh, you're going to bring back, like we don't have chairs for the building. And, and so the chairs on top of the fact that we're not going to be able to do the remodel, like we just, I'm eventually, I, hopefully God does something and we're able to do that. But right now, like, like right now that building's just dry bones and that's frustrating to me this week. And I was really going through a thing. I'm like, man, we're gonna, God is going to give us this building. We're going to be able to get in it, but we're not going to be able to do anything. We're, we're going to be worshiping for the first, I don't know how long on a stage like this in our new building because there's no stage for us to, to do that with. And, and, and that was just, that was a real big, like I was having a hard time emotionally with that this week. And, and then I'm, get, I'm doing the sermon and I'm just like, like, uh, I don't know if you do this. I'm just like, you idiot. <laughs> Why? Like, God, you're, you're able to do, and even if you don't, like we're, we're gonna have church, we're gonna be together. Like that's not gonna be, it's not gonna be the end of the world. It's not gonna be great. It's not gonna be the end of the world. We're gonna make it through and, and eventually God's gonna provide and we're gonna be able to do what we need to do and it's, and it's gonna be fine. And so I had this moment where I'm standing in the midst of this valley of dry bones and I'm looking around and I'm going, yeah, God, no, that, like no life. There's no way life is gonna come into this. And I don't know how yet, I, I don't know how and I don't know when yet, but, but I've had to work through that process to get to this point where I go, okay, God, bones don't matter to you. Like these bones are chaotic nothingness. You can do whatever you want to do. And my job, like Ezekiel's job, like your job, is just to be faithful and just to say what God tells me to say and to do what God tells me to do, to, to just like Ezekiel. So I obeyed the command of the Lord I spoke to the bones and I told the people and I did what I was supposed to do and then God took care of the rest. And I'm sure he's gonna take care of the rest for us. Uh, and, and so I don't know how, 
but I'm confident He will. And it's not just about a building, it's about our lives. And whatever's going on in your life right now, or maybe, maybe you're in that situation, like I don't know how He's gonna do it, I don't know how He's gonna get through it, I don't know how He's gonna accomplish it. I don't either, but I know He can. I know He can. And I hope He will. Let's pray. God, thanks for just loving us. And thank you for giving us these stories like Ezekiel that, that, that actually kind of cause us to stop and go like, this doesn't make any sense. But then God, thanks for being a God who, who, who eventually like fills in the rest of the story. And we go, ah, God, I kinda, I, I, we can see what you're doing at least. It doesn't necessarily make it easier, but we can see it. And so, and so God, whether, whether it's this new building, this new step, this new thing for us as a church, or whether it's somebody here today just dealing with, like feeling like they're in the middle of these dry bones, and maybe it's their hopes and dreams, maybe it's their plans, maybe it's a job, maybe their family, just, it just seems to be pulling apart and falling a, a, apart. Maybe they're looking at their bank account and there's nothing there but dry bones. Um, I, God, I, I don't, I, just, I don't know what's going on in, in each and every life, but I know, I know that you are the one who controls the spirit. And that spirit can give life even to dry bones. That spirit can take nothing and make something out of it. And, and so God, in each and every life where there's somebody struggling today, where there's a relationship thing or a financial thing or a job, thing or a car, thing, whatever it is that represents the dry bones for us today. I pray today, tomorrow, that you begin to speak life into those dry bones and that the breath of God, your spirit washes over that and just brings it to life. Whatever hope or dream has been dashed, that you just, you resurrect it you bring that dead thing back to life and, and then God, you accomplish your will, your ways through us in, in that moment and that thing. And, and then help us, God, just like Ezekiel, to be faithful and just to simply do what you've called us to do. Thanks for loving us and thank you for partnering with us in this. In Jesus' name.